Hello and welcome to the In The Money Players Podcast. This is our show for Monday, April 3rd. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again and joined by the man who's been a stalwart of these recap shows all winter and will be with us now that the rubber is hitting the proverbial road. He is Nick Tamaro. Nick, how are things? Doing great, Pete. Glad to be with you again and uh, ready for things to keep heating up. And yeah, and and that's the that's the word. I feel like we have really our most interesting storyline to tackle. And we'll begin right there with uh, the big prep race action from this past weekend, Arkansas Derby, and of course the Florida Derby. Florida Derby, you know, I had done a write-up on paper about how, you know, clear Forte was and, and how, you know, I didn't think he was going to lose. Well, he didn't lose, but he didn't make it easy. It's a result that has produced a, a number of different takes. I'll just ask it. As simple as this, do you think Forte is still a uh, sizable Kentucky Derby favorite after the Florida Derby? Uh, the answer to that question is yes. That, I think, says as much about him as it does everybody else. Um, at this point, yeah, he's still a, he's still a pretty clear favorite. Um, do I think the people who took 5-2 to two in the final future pool that closed an hour before the race should feel good. No, I don't think he's, I think what we probably saw with that performance was that he does not go off under three to one. I think it'll, it, especially because remember, I mean, we're going to have a reactionary year where people bet the long shots. Yes. So I think that is probably the, the best way I could put it. He, I think, I think he is going to be a clear favorite. I don't think he's going to be under three to one. And yeah, the way these pools could work out, and we'll be talking about this much more, it, it could be an interesting year to potentially lean on the favorite, especially a favorite who certainly showed more vulnerability on Saturday. I mean, turning in, I never I never was like, oh, he's not going to win. But I mean, I thought Pete Aiello said it perfectly in the call. He, What did he say? He's got to hurry. Gotta hurry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was exactly right. And it's a really interesting race. Um to, to parse, I think, because a lot of people, including Todd Pletcher, are giving him a lot of extra credit for the tenacity that he showed and finishing speed, both of which are true. But when you just go back and you look at this race on paper and you see that it was a fast pace and you see that Mage was the horse that moved early into that fast pace, whereas Forte moved a bit more efficiently. I mean, if this was just horse A and horse B in a race, and you were going to ask me who I was going to bet next time, I can make a pretty good case that Mage would be the horse that I'd want to bet the next time. Now, I'm, I'm not like there as big of a Forte fan as I've been. I'm wanting to make excuses. But, I mean, Forte is the horse with, you know, so much more experience. So, you know, it, it, there's a limit to the amount of blue sky I think you can pump into him. Whereas Mage now heading into his third career start, having made that move into the fastest part of that race, I mean, that's the horse that's supposed to run better next. How do you evaluate Mage and Forte going forward? And what do you think the market's going to do with each of them? Yeah, I mean, I think it would be one of those scenarios where if you were just doing a horse A, horse B scenario like you're talking about, I think we would all say, well, we're taking Mage next time. And we're taking Mage pretty much from here on in when you look at their respective PPs and cover up their names and see that, you know, Mage is a third time starter who um, was going against graded stakes company twice. And Forte is a bit more of an exposed horse at this point. So yeah, Mage had a much more difficult trip in my opinion, no question about it with the slow break. 
um, which, you know, slow breaks are something that should always be put in context anyway. If a dead last closer breaks slowly in a fast paced race, it's not a big deal. But when a projected front runner breaks slowly, it is a big deal. And and so he was put in a, you know, in a decidedly different scenario than he expected to be in. I still thought he ran very, very well. Um, congratulations to Ramiro and all the, the connections who believed in this horse after his debut win. And, you know, I kind of scoffed at them running him in the fountain of youth and thought that it was probably a little too much too soon, but you know, Hey, they knew what they had. So he's a very nice horse. I, I fear that this is going to be all a little too much too quickly still. I hope not because he looks like a good horse and we need good horses in this crop. Here's my, my forte issue. Number one, as the distances have gotten longer, this horse seems to have less speed. That's a very, very big problem in Louisville. You don't win the Derby consistently with a mid to back of the pack running style. It is a speed horses race. It is a rare circumstance. There's also a recency bias. So people are saying, well, you know, Rich Strike came from a mile out last year. <laughs> that was a rarity, right? That was that the was, exception, not the rule. That was the exception. I mean, think about horses like Medina Spirit and Maximum Security and Justify and Always Dreaming and Nyquist and American Pharaoh and California Chrome, you know, all the way back to Orb, the running styles, you're much more helped being forward. There's also no speed in this crop, like none, none. There's no quality speed at all at this point. Now it's, it's, of course, it's Monday, April 3rd. So we have not seen the wood. We have not seen the, the Sanity to Derby. I have the perspective PPs for the bluegrass. What's it looking like? There's not any speed in there either. So, I mean, there's very little speed in this crop. It is made up of a lot of mid to late pack closers. It's, it's basically everybody that's been projected so far. I mean, and tap it, tries headlines it. But, you know, we know what his running style is, right? So my point with all of it is that if you are believing in Forte, if you are taking, to me, if you are taking three to one in the Derby, that is a horse that you should have an overwhelming amount of confidence in. That is a short price in the most wide open race of the year. And the fact that Irad basically came right out and said afterwards, I went to a plan B because I asked him to go out of the gate and he couldn't keep up. And so that, you know, that then led to him becoming kind of a bicycle horse. And now he's under a ride with five eights to go. I know you felt like I did around the turn. You probably thought to yourself, there ain't a chance in hell he's getting there today. <laughs> I mean, he was scrubbing. He was not gaining ground. And then Mage blew by him. And it was like, well, hell, he could be off the board. So, you know, take nothing away from, from him in the sense of him being a very quality horse. You know, he's, he's, an, he's a clearly an above average horse. For this crop, he's exceptional. But... When you're starting to get into the realm of five to two, two to one type favorite in the Derby, you need to be at a level that he's just not at. And let me tell you, this is surprising. These prices now looking at uh, the sharpest book, sh shockingly to me, shortened Forte from three to five to two off that. He's three to one most other places. Um, they didn't really touch Mage. Mage 20 to one. I mean, I know the answer to this already, but Mage 20 to one, Forte five to two. Who are you taking, Nick? I mean, it's the easiest call. I'd probably see if I could get plus 300 on a head to head. Yeah, it's, it's very, very interesting. You talk about the lack of speed, the horses that pop to mind as you were saying that. Does this give you um, more optimism for a King's Barnes? Does it give you more optimism for a Derme Sotagake? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, Travis Stone. 
tweeted on Saturday night. He said, I think Dermis Odegake is going to end up going off the second choice in the Derby. Now, I don't know. He, he and I talked yesterday. He said, he said, do you think there's a reason, reasonable chance of that? And I said, I don't think there's no chance. Well, I remember the hype last year for how well Crown Pride trained and the right. money that came for him. And we're looking at a horse. So Rob Dove, who long-term listeners and viewers will know, is one of the top 10 pro punters in the UK today, took a crack at a Dubai figure and came up with 103. Now, granted, mm -hmm. 103 biasated, but it's still a 103. It's still faster than what horses have run. And Thurgraf liked it, too. Thurgraf gave him a one-and-a-half clear fastest of the, of the three-year-olds so far. So I don't think what Travis is saying is crazy at all if the horse looks good and gets – you know, Derby workout, it's the one time of the year where you'll see that workout hype, you know, translate. It's it's not the one time of the year. I suppose it happens in California. But, like, for a big race like this, it's it's the one time of the year where the workout stuff will really get priced in. Um, I don't think it's nuts at all. He is, he's been nibbled at. Now, Derma was, was 20s last time we talked about this. Sharpest book now, 16s. Some places as, as in as – low as 12s there's some 20s around at a couple of books and i might make some phone calls after the show nick and and throw down uh, a small bet anyway on uh, on him because that that just 20s feels like it has to be value for that horse at this point knowing what we know yeah it does and i mean look if this weekend is made up of wins by horses like hit show and tap it trice and practical move or or uh go rocket ride or somebody like that i mean those horses are going to take modest money they're not going to take huge money by any means and so yeah i think that would open up the door for uh for him to be probably in the vicinity of 12 to 15 to 1 which 20 would represent good value let's talk about other elements of the florida derby we talked about this off air yesterday but the the sort of storyline of the horses who'd proven they could run off lasix looking back to that key form line of of the fountain of youth um doing a lot better than horses who hadn't answered that question yet. And you mentioned to me off air, that's something you're going to be looking at a lot in the coming months. Yeah. You know, I, I hate to admit it, but I think it's just become a much bigger angle and, and something that you just have to be much more hip to than, than we probably considered going into it, you know, and, and I know that, I know that as far as the Florida Derby goes, you know, the horses that ran well were all horses that uh, generally were expected to, I mean, it was, it was a formful race as it played out. Um, but the horses that ran well were all horses that had consistently, at least of late, been running without Lasix. Now, Forte has, has never been treated with Lasix in his entire career. Um, Mage obviously had now run two straight races without it. So they were horses conditioned to it. Cyclone Mischief was one that, you know, we kind of charged him earlier in the winter with maybe being a horse that benefited from having Lasix when he won that allowance race in January. And he's now come back and run well twice without it. So um, he's a horse, I think, that, that you know, is not totally out of the realm of possibility to get a piece of the Derby. Uh, he seems to be developing a bit more versatile running style. Gale's horses are usually a little bit better in Kentucky than anywhere else. Home is where the heart is. So, yeah, I mean, and, and you know, as far as the Florida Derby goes, my point with that race was that the horses that were coming off of Lasix all underperformed. And it's not altogether shocking it, it's something that's happening, I think, regularly. It seems to be happening even more regularly sometimes with the with the Phillies. But it's an even bigger part of the conversation, I think, when we when we shift our focus to Oakland in a couple of minutes. 
Yes, we'll, we'll get there. I just did want to say, once again, Cyclone Mischief for me didn't finish off like a horse that I'm eager to take at a mile and a quarter, but he certainly right. ran better than I thought he was going to in the Florida Derby. And it's hard to know. I, I don't really know with Forte and Mage in terms of like what that what this extra distance is, is going to mean. I mean, that's, that's one thing I plan on spending a lot of my uh, study in the next week as we await this last round of preps, trying to come up with some, uh, trying to come up with some ideas. Do you have a gut feeling about how the extra distance is going to affect either of those two? I mean, it looks like it's probably not going to be Mage's friend. Good magic kind of topped out at a mile and an eighth. And um, it's a, it's a good damn side, obviously, um, I mean, I have a personal connection with the damn side only because Puka got into a blind switch in mid stretch of the 2014 Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies, and that enabled me to hit the trifecta. If Puka <laughs> had a clear run, she would have totally ruined my my trifecta, and probably I, I would probably finished in the money in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies. So I, I and then her career completely fell apart. So um, so I, I always see the damn side, but you know, Puka was a was bred to be a distance horse. So I mean, she she has a there's distance on the damn side. You know, it'll be a question of which side kind of wins out. But um, I mean, I would say of that, you know, of that grouping, at least from what we saw Saturday and what we've seen so far, Forte looks to be the most, the biggest beneficiary of more ground. Uh, before we pivot to Oakland, just want to let the folks uh, viewing at home know that they can become part of the conversation right here in our YouTube comments. Give us your thoughts on uh, what you saw in the Florida Derby. Give us your Kentucky Derby pick if you have that already. And if you have more questions than that, hit us up on Twitter. I'm uh, at Looms Boldly, Nick over at at NTAM1215, or hit us up through the contact page over at InTheMoneyPodcast.com. We're going to be doing a lot more uh, derby content obviously it becomes basically the the derby show over at in the money media between the youtube channel and the podcast going forward let's move to oakland where you uh, correctly identified the winner of uh, or at least you had as a strong a the winner angel of empire unlike mage the market has really tightened up on angel of empire who the best price you're going to find anywhere now is 10 to 1 what did you think of his run in arkansas yeah, he seems to become a pretty embraceable horse after uh, after Saturday's effort. Um, I, th I thought he ran well. You know, I, I feel like in my subsequent viewings of the race, what I was trying to do the first couple times I watched it was identify if anybody maybe outperformed expectations relative to pace because it was a strong pace. But then you watch the replay and you realize that this was one of those strong paces where the only horse that was involved early, given where they finished, the only conclusion you can draw is literally that Angel of Empire did all the running. Like he did all of the running. He did enough running to stay close early. He blew the race open coming into the stretch. And I mean, he just really deep six that field. He really, you know, he really laid it on him. And I think that's one of those scenarios where I'm not, I'm not big on excusing you know, low to mid buyer speed figures. But when you're talking about a final time figure and then you're looking at it in the context of one horse really doing all of the work, I think that's when you say, okay, that's a better 94 than it looks. You know, that's not a 94 where he just kind of plugged along and, and got up after some big fractions wore everybody else down. So I thought he ran very, very well. You know, this is a horse that I, I think when we talked about it on Friday with Naomi, I admitted that I was dismissive of him early. And, um, and in, in looking at his PPs, I realized, you know, 
it's kind of hard to poke holes in this horse. He's he's not all that fast, but they're not all that fast. Right. And um, and he's getting better with each each passing start. It's obvious that you know Brad Cox seems to have found the right uh, right distance and scenarios for him pace wise. And there he goes. I love the efficiency that he showed in the run, uh, the pace line on time form. And time form had it faster than Bayer, too. But the, the pace line, 112, 112, 110, 116, 118. I mean, that's that's the kind of a, a efficient running line you could see um, playing well going a mile and a quarter. And just visually, it gave the impression of a one-horse race, like you were saying. I mean, he had one horse doing all the running. So, yeah, you take that raw 118 – you know, that's more like a 98 than the 94. And you're starting to get into, into territory. Going back to Florida for a minute, that figure originally came out. And then insert eye roll here, we found that it was a mistimed race, which is frustrating. So that went from a 98, which I'll just say felt high, um, whatever that means, yeah. to but but with, with the correct timing, that came down to what, a 95? Was that the final the final answer? 95 on the is the final number, yep. So, yeah, so similar, but it, but it's interesting to compare them um, it's interesting to compare the, the, the those two races, and um, you, you you had a Lasix point too. You wanted to make regarding the Arkansas Derby. Yeah, I mean, this is a race where the horses that had consistently been running without Lasix performed well. Um, you know, the King Russell, who was second, is a horse that came in. I'm sorry, he was actually a horse that was going off of Lasix, which it was more so the fantasy where some of the horses coming off Lasix underperformed. But um, yeah, I mean, Angel of Empire. Clearly Brad Cox is, is, and Brad Cox sort of foreshadowed this with some friends of ours and said, when the Lasix band was coming, you know, I won't have as much of a problem because I train my horses very, very hard. And they're a lot less likely to run into problems with bleeding and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I thought that, uh, I thought that that was something worth considering. Um, I, I think as far as the fantasy goes more so than, than this race in particular, but um, it's obvious that, there were horses in here coming off of Lasix that underperformed like Interlock Empire. And, um, and we've seen uh, two Eagles river, you know, those are particular trainers that have had a hard time taking horses off of Lasix and getting them to perform at the same level. The one horse that I wanted to mention in terms of a beaten runner in here that I think you're supposed to, you're supposed to use as maybe a little bit of a benchmark or you're supposed to be concerned. I did not like the way rocket can ran. And, and it's a little disconcerting that Rocket Can was kind of, you know, one of the best of the lot in South Florida. And he ran very poorly with absolutely no excuses. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm not saying, you know, oh, that's an indictment of Forte. But I'm saying that if there's concern about what was going on in terms of the depth in South Florida, it's Rocket Can is supposed to contribute to that. He did nothing for the form. We'll say it. You, know, you, can, you, you can. Nobody can dispute that. What, does he need to be turned back? What do you think, Rocket can? So, what, what do you think the plan will be? I mean, I think it feels odd if they persist off that race. I mean, going back all the way to our one of our first conversations about the Derby Future Wager, he was one of the horses that we thought distance would be on the side of. Yeah. You know, we yeah. anticipated that he'd he'd get better the farther they went. So, you know, the fact that he kind of stalled out is a little it's a little problematic. Um, he also had the profile of a horse that was really, you know, sitting on a big race. He was coming in with improving form. He looked to have the right running style. I mean, if you drew up the trip halfway down the backstretch when I was watching the race, I was watching on my phone. But I thought to myself, well, I mean, going to be hard to keep him out of the exacta halfway down the backstretch, especially when it looked like they really weren't going you know, crazy fast. And he didn't even get by reincarnate. 
Yeah, it was very strange. It, it, that's I think just the visual impression it gave is what made me think cutback. But I think you're, you're probably right. Just wasn't his day. Maybe there was a bleeding issue. We'll, we'll, we'll follow the news and see what goes on with him. Reincarnate actually ran pretty well, all things considered, but just so well handled. Um, you know, I feel like coming out of it, there's only one horse I'm interested in, you know, and that's the winner. I completely agree. I think that's the right way to sum it up. It's there's one horse coming out of it that you're interested in. Let's talk about the Phillies as well. We can't get into all the stakes action from the weekend. we got about 10 minutes left here. Let's talk about the fantasy where uh, Wet Paint certainly made a good impression and did something that not many of her uh, ilk have done. Ran a rock-solid speed figure. That one came back an 89 on the scale and you know just, just couldn't really look too much better, in, in my opinion. Is she now the favorite for the, for the Kentucky Oaks? Yeah, it looks that way. I mean, barring... Barring a big performance by her stablemate Punch Bowl in Friday's Ashland, or maybe a, you know, there's a there's a horse named Wonder Wheel that seems to have left the conversation for a while, and I know I've been critical of her as a three year old, um, but you know, barring a big performance by one of those Ashland fillies, it certainly feels like Wet Pain will be a pretty pretty solid favorite. She had some questions to answer about a dry track, and um, I don't know how tough the competition was there. This was a race where she's looking lucky, uh, looked like one of the horses that was a, a prime com contender. She was off Lasix and did not run well. And I think this is a situation that's affecting the Phillies a little bit more than the Colts at times. Um, didn't have a discernible excuse. Some of the other horses that were coming off of Lasix did not perform well either. Uh, two horses that had been consistently running without Lasix ran second and third at 33 and 50 to one. So, you know, this is kind of where you want that's where it gets interesting, right? You want to keep that in mind, right? I mean, you want to keep that in mind with the Phillies, especially. And, and Paul Matisse has been banging the drum on this for over a year now that he thinks the Phillies might be more affected. But, um, you know, as far as wet paint goes, it looked a lot like Angel of Empires win from a little bit farther back. Yeah. And uh, she was efficient. She was. I mean, Flavian Pratt rode her like she was one to a million. You know, he never looked like he lacked the slightest bit of confidence. She doesn't have the most ideal running style for a horse that's going to try and negotiate a trip in a in a 14 horse field. But, you know, when you have the ability to finish and you're seemingly bottomless distance wise, there's always going to be a place for you. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're you're always going to have a little bit of a shot. So. You know, when she levels off and and finishes up, she's got a, a really nice kind of turn of foot, so to speak. And yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing how she stacks up with some of the others in her uh, in her generation, because at this point, it looks like she's pretty much the top of the class. Another really interesting uh, pace line on time form. Speaking of Paul Matisse, a pure upline, 81, 90. Well, not quite pure, but close enough. 81, 99, 98, 106, 107. Very unusual type of a pace line there. And another one suggesting that, you know, I have a feeling she could probably go a little bit faster early and still finish. Very interesting horse. Interestingly, in the futures market for the Kentucky Oaks, right now at the Sharpest Book, a five-way vie for favoritism, all at eight to one with wet paint, wonder wheel, punch bowl, botanical, and Julia shining up there. We'll get more clues for the for the Oaks. I mean, there's some strange stuff going on in that market for sure. Nobody can make up their mind. It's funny. Some of the books have uh, Money's Gold in there, but I don't think there's any chance Money's Gold runs. No, she doesn't have any points. Right. So, yeah. I mean, she's I mean, unless I heard she was running in the eight bell. So I think that's that's the plan. Yeah. I mean, I would bet wet paint painted eight to one, obviously, with with alacrity. 
And um, and I would bet Punchbowl at eight to one because the thing is, Punchbowl is only going if she wins on Friday, right? And if she wins on Friday, there's a zero percent chance she's eight to one in the, in yep. the Oaks. Yep. So yeah, it's kind of a you know kind of an action play. And so the Ashland is Friday, not Saturday, huh? The Ashland is Friday. Yeah, it was moved to Friday is the Ashland, the Transylvania, and I think there's one other stake. Terrific uh, day of racing. It is a terrific day of racing. The weather looks like it's clearing up and it's going to be nice. And then Saturday's the Madison, the Shaker Town, the Commonwealth, and the Bluegrass. Well, I'll announce it now. We're going to do a special show for that Keeneland opening day Friday. Um, and I know there's a ton of Adelphi horses running, um, both here in New York and hopefully one at Keeneland as well. So uh, maybe I'll grab Masked Bear. How the Delphi horse? What's that? It's funny, funny how. how yeah, oh yeah, funny how's the Delphi. We in the distaff on Friday at Aqueduct. Yep. yep. So that'll be that'll yeah. be a perfect excuse to bring uh, to bring Matt on to talk about the, all the success they have. And then uh, Gem Min Ten is in that the uh, the the allowance race uh, on the turf uh, that goes as the last. So we'll, we'll get an update right. on uh, on that runner that I have a piece of. Excited to talk about that. All right, we're talking Oaks. So that means we got to go back to to Florida and talk about the Gulfstream Park. Oaks. Well, uh, th th this was one, and I'll talk about this more on the show I do with Sean, just a betting, I'm going to call it a betting blunder for now, given how much I like the other four winners in the sequence that I go four deep in this race and don't have the winner. Affirmative lady for, for grand motion, getting the job done. Uh, a result that, uh, that, that caught me a little bit uh, flat footed. The buyer, as is so many in this uh, division, as we've said, it came back light in 81 for the Gulfstream Park Oaks winner. It, it, can affirmative lady improve enough to to be in this Oaks mix at this point, or, or are you just thinking this is not going to be a key piece of form for the Kentucky Oaks? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if this race is going to have to really fall apart for her to be a factor, um, you know, the problem Pete was that from, from any measurable speed figure standpoint, she wasn't like five or six points slow. She was like 10 to 15 points slow. So, you know, it was even just one of those groups, like putting the par. Yeah, aside, in this group, exactly. In this, in this weak group, she was 10 to 15 points slow. So, I mean, you put her, you put her in a scenario against a horse like wet paint and you say to yourself, well, I mean, hell, if they go fast enough for affirmative lady, they're sure as hell going to go fast enough for wet paint. Right. I mean, she's going to be, she's going to be way better off in that scenario. You know, I think as it ended up, uh, what you had to have happen on Saturday for Affirmative Lady to win was this wild sequence of things that when I explain it in a second, it's going to seem totally plausible. But beforehand, you would have laughed at me, which is neither Pletcher shows up, Darth Vader can't go long, and Sacred Wish just isn't quite good enough. Right. And so that takes care of the four horses that you used. Right. <laughs> Basically, the four horses that I used. And and yeah, I mean, when you explain it away like that, but. How often do Todd Pletcher horses and graded stakes in South Florida not show up, right? Just, just they're totally Extremely rarely atomically, atomically was almost eased around the turn. And then, I mean, Dorth not getting the mile on a 16th is not all that shocking. No. That's, that was, that was believable. And Jake's horse ran really well, but you know, push comes to shove. She's probably just at this point, and maybe she gets better with a little bit more time. It was only her third career start. Second was her ceiling. Well, 
You put all that together and you know what? You can get to Affirmative Lady. And I heard Brian Natto mention her. I was listening to the broadcast because I was in the, the announcer's booth at Sam Houston. And he was kind of talking up Affirmative Lady. And I looked back at the PPs and I was like, you know, I really respect Brian's opinion. I think he's terrific. I thought maybe did I overlook this horse? And I saw those, those 70 buyers and, you know, losing by seven lengths to Occult and Gambling Girl, who's just a, a total plug. And I thought, nah, I didn't. Nah. it's always better i feel better though when i i'd prefer that experience and just being wrong to missing it and then you go back after and you're like there was something in the pps the only thing for me in the pps is the way i could have gotten to her before the race was to just say there's nobody when no horse has run the par and you know it's hard you can either use a generic par for a race like, you know, for a grade two, three-year-old restricted fillies, you know, you can do that math or, you know, a tool like formulator, you can go back and look at the last five winners through the parts feature and you can come up with what it usually takes. And when none of them going in have done that, have run that figure, you can start, you know, getting creative and saying, well, grand motion doesn't run horses in this spot who don't fit, you know, that's not, he's not doing it for the owner. Like he's doing it because he thinks he has a chance and, and maybe that's enough. Pretty flaky way to get to a horse. I wasn't able to do it beforehand. The points I'll make about Sacred Wish, and you know, there, there, there's some wish casting here, given my friendship with uh, Maddie and, and Jake and, and relationship with Black Type, etc. But you know, Weaver had barely had her, right? Only had her for a short amount of time, and the the width of the trip, like this, is one where I mean, she'll have a better cheat number than the winner. I, I would think that, that she was, you know, four wide, four wide, I think. So she'll definitely uh, make up that ground in in uh, in cheat figure methodology. She'll still have something to find with, uh, she'll still have something to find with wet paint. Um, but I mean, I think, I think she's interesting and, you know, just congrats to them for the third. I just think it's a pretty impressive feat three years in a row, private purchase that you, you brings you to the, to the Kentucky Oaks. There's not a lot of people who can do that out there. So, so claps to them, but you know, my betting on her going forward would be more with, with my, probably more with my heart than my head until we see the prices, of course, maybe, you know, at the right price, I'll, 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 I'll include almost almost anybody if I can tell a story the way I can about Sacred Wish. But yeah, it does off the off the rip. You would think probably not a key piece of form for the for the Kentucky Oaks this year. But you know, more more, more to be observed as we go forward. Yeah, I think the the Gazelle, the Ashland, and the uh, I mean the Phillies out west have not been. Phase has been good, but I mean I don't. I guess she would have needed a barn change to to be a, a, an Oaks participant. She's also not been very fast either. So, you know, it's, it remains to be seen. It looks like Brad Cox has a lock on it. I will admit that I saw somebody tweet to me about a horse named botanical the other day, and I did not know who she was. Uh, but then I realized that she won the bourbonette. So yeah, um, yeah it's, it's, it's uh, the proverbial uh, embarrassment of riches for the Brad Cox barn coming into this, this particular uh, Kentucky Oaks going to be very interesting to see how it plays out. We've got tons of other coverage. We're going to have special stuff this week. Pod with Sean Borman. He's making he's he'll have made figures for these races. Always good to get that extra bit of opinion in terms of, you know, what, how these things are looking in terms of late pace and how that pertends for them stretching out. We'll be doing an opening day Keeneland show. We'll obviously be covering Keeneland and uh, Aqueduct and Santa Anita late week. Nick, you will be here for, for some of that. We look forward to chatting with you more. We encourage everybody to uh, 
put their idea of the Derby winner in the comments on YouTube. And if you're listening to this in any of the usual places, just pop over to the YouTube channel, search for In The Money Media over there, rate, review, subscribe, do all of those good things. Uh, we'll thank our founding partners before we get out of here, 10 Strike Racing and also the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. Go to trfinc.org slash players for a calendar of events that we're going to be involved with celebrating their 40th anniversary this year. That's going to do it. The show's been a production of In The Money Media. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos.